Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download. Good evening. We do begin the readout tonight on our one-year anniversary, no less, uh, with another day. Another member of the disgraced, twice-impeached former president's inner circle in trouble with the law. Tom Barrick, remember him? The former chair of the former president's 2017 inaugural committee was arrested today on charges of illegally lobbying the campaign and the Trump administration on behalf of the United Arab Emirates and for failing to register as a foreign lobbyist. A seven count indictment unsealed in a New York federal court today accuses Barrick and two other individuals as acting and conspiring as agents of the UAE between 2016 and 2018. The indictment alleges that Barrick provided UAE officials with sensitive non-public information about developments within the administration. Barrick is also charged with counts of obstruction of justice and for lying to the FBI about his dealings with the Emirates. Barrick is a longtime friend of the former president and is alleged to have used that relationship to get language inserted into one of then-candidate Trump's speeches at the behest of Emirati officials. While Trump didn't wind up directly praising one of the Emirati officials, as had been originally proposed, he did wind up promising to work with Gulf allies. We'll work with our Gulf allies to develop a positive energy relationship as part of our anti-terrorism strategy. We'll work with them because we have to knock out terrorism. According to the indictment, after the speech, an Emirati official emailed Barrick stating, stating, quote, congrats on the great job today. Everybody here are happy with the results. Barrick is also alleged to have arranged a phone call between Trump and a top UAE official in 2017. In a statement, a spokesperson said Mr. Barrick has made himself voluntarily available to investigators from the outset. He is not guilty and will be pleading not guilty. Barrick is also one of seven former Trump campaign associates to be indicted. And if the charge of failing to register as a foreign agent sounds familiar, Paul Manafort, the former Trump campaign chairman, was convicted on that very charge before Trump pardoned him and his deputy, Rick Gates. Prosecutors have asked that Barrick be detained until a bail hearing can be set, given his wealth, access to a private jet, the fact that Barrick is a citizen of Lebanon, which has no extradition treaty with the United States, and because of his ties to the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Joining me now is Chuck Rosenberg, former U.S. attorney and senior FBI official. And I guess the obvious question here um, for, for Tom Barrick, who seems like a pretty smart guy, pretty you know, well-read individual, is, and, and it kind of goes for Paul Manafort, too, wouldn't it be easier to just register as a foreign agent? Oh, absolutely, Joy. Look, this is not that complicated. Everything they did, they likely could have done if they had just followed the rules. And the rules say, Joy, if you want to represent the foreign government, if you want to represent Canada, tell the attorney general, put it on record, file periodic reports, tell us what you're doing. And if you do that, Joy, have at it. Represent Canada. There's no issue there. The issue is when you fail to register, because really what the law is getting at is transparency. We want to know who's representing whom and what the hidden interests are. So if you're transparent, 
you're not in trouble. And if somebody takes the huge risk, I mean, this is something you can get five years in prison for this, right? And I assume that somebody like Paul Manafort, who was wearing like crocodile, you know, jeans and stuff, they don't want to be in prison. So as a prosecutor, what tends to be the motivation for people who fail to register and still try to represent foreign governments? Yeah, another good question. So it's a little bit of a mystery to me because registering is not that hard and it's not that complicated. Unless they're doing something really underhanded, unless there's some subterfuge, go ahead and register. And then you notice when he was questioned about it by the FBI, um, according to the indictment, he allegedly lied. Right. So you're taking a problem that's not that significant, one that you could easily avoid by being transparent, and you're compounding it and making it much, much worse by lying to the FBI, which is, by the way, Joy, a separate felony. It's a separate felony, right. We remember Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn, who is a general and was a defense intelligence agency. Had you'd think he'd know not to lie to the FBI. Uh, I guess my last question here is, is what we're looking at here, because we know we talked a lot about Russia um, and their attempts to gain influence over the Trump campaign and potentially over the administration and attempts to do that by, you know, talking with various officials. Are we talking about here that foreign governments were trying to buy influence? Is that really what this boils down to? I think that's exactly right, Joy. Foreign governments want influence with the president, with the new administration, with the new senior officials. And again, if you disclose it, it's okay. If you don't disclose it, it's a violation of federal law. You know, every time the Washington Post writes a story about Amazon, they note in the newspaper that Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, owns the Washington Post. You know, that's good for the newspaper. It's good for the reporter. Right. And it's good for the reader. Everybody knows what the relationships are. And so that's all we're asking with this law. Does the UAE want influence? Of course they do. Is that OK? Sure it is. We have a State Department that is particularly and purposefully set up for that reason, to have relationships and conversations with governments around the world. If you're going to do it, though, as a private citizen, disclose it. It seems so elementary, my dear Watson. Uh, in this case, my dear Chuck Rosenberg, thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here to enlighten us this evening. All right, join me now, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, I guess the reason I, I asked the question in that way, Senator, thank you for being here, is that it does seem like a certain class of the rich simply want to do their business their own way and not follow the really simple basic rules. Is that really what we're looking at here? Oh, I think that's exactly right. You know, this is a man who just thought he was bulletproof in every meaning of that word. The rules just don't apply to him. They only apply to the little people. He had Donald Trump's ear and he was willing to use it no matter what, whether it involved conflicts of interest, whether it involved a violation of the law. But, you know, there's another piece to this one, it seems to me. And that's the question about whether or not, not just what he has done, and it looks like a clear violation of the law, failed to register. But is registration really enough? One of the things that I think is a real problem is if foreign governments want to try to influence the United States, let them send over their delegations. They don't have to hire people here in the United States to lobby our government. I don't think that Americans ought to be lobbying the government on behalf of foreign officials. And by the way, that is one more reason that we should be pushing forward on the For the People Act. It has great provisions to protect voting, great provisions to get rid of gerrymandering, great provisions, though, to beat back the influence of dark money. And part of it is starting to put more restrictions on lobbying. If foreign governments want to talk to our government, then let them send their own foreign delegation. 
they'll be clearly identified and we'll know who they were. And I, I'm so glad that you put it that way, because I think that is the concern, is that you have <laughs> the wealthy coming at our government at all times from every angle. You've got domestic businesses, businesses with foreign headquarters. Um, you've got the Amazons of the world. They all want to pay almost no taxes. They all want tremendous influence over whether they're regulated or if they're regulated at all. And people don't seem to want to be open about that. But I feel like that's the core problem. And so, Senator, I guess I know this is something that you care a lot about. Are you concerned just being in the middle of that Senate maelstrom that the For the People Act is kind of getting backbenched and sort of traded away as Democrats are so excited that they're going to get this big infrastructure bill that's got all this good stuff that Democrats, particularly liberal Democrats, have wanted for a long time? You know, I, I, I never like to tell uh, tales out of school, but today at the lunch for the Democrats, we were talking about that infrastructure bill, but there were also hands up in the room to say, we have got to go forward on For the People as well, that we cannot let it fall behind, that For the People is about protecting the vote, about getting rid of gerrymandering, about beating back the influence of big money. And that's where it all happens. This is about our investment in democracy. It is about our investment in the future. So, yeah, right now, the headlines are all about that infrastructure bill. And look, I'm in there fighting for the parts I care about, too. But what we have to remember is that what we must get done as a Democratic Senate is we must pass for the people. Our democracy depends on it. You know, and, and, I, and I'm glad that you're putting it that way, because I'm starting to wonder if maybe, uh, well, maybe I'll just ask you, what kind of creative thinking are we seeing in terms of how to do the both and here? Because we did see Amy Klobuchar say something that I thought was pretty brilliant, which is to say that maybe if we're expanding our definition of infrastructure, election infrastructure then comes in. Maybe we find ways to, like, push things into the infrastructure bill. Or are there punitive things? I remember when I was growing up, you know, the state of Colorado didn't want to lower their speed uh, limit to 55. And the federal government said, fine, you don't get any federal highway money. Right. There's money coming to states that are hurting voters. Are there ways to be creative about using the infrastructure package to get some of the reforms on voting through? Potentially, there are. And we're certainly looking into all of them. Just had a conversation about that early this morning. But understand for the People has provisions in it that I don't think we can get in through uh, reconciliation. Because remember, we have uh, the parliamentarian who's going to be sitting there saying, wait a minute, is that a money provision or are you trying to create right. new law? Yeah. So, so I don't want to have to rely on that. I want to keep saying I'm glad to talk about infrastructure. I'm glad for us to move infrastructure forward. But we have to remember the end goal. The end goal is that we have got to protect our democracy, protect our vote, protect the meaning of that vote on the gerrymandering rules and beat back the influence of dark money. That has to be a first priority for us. Get them both done. I'm all in. But we've got to make sure that we protect our vote for the people. And, and the thing is, is that the dark money that, that you know, that the uh, For the People Act would protect against is also fighting the For the People Act, right? It's coming at the For the People Act. There are ads, they're even running. I see them on MSNBC oh, yeah. everywhere. And they're coming at individual senators. I mean, mm -hmm. does it concern you that senators like Joe Manchin are down meeting with big oil companies that, by the way, are like, let's not have these reforms because we want to put our money on the table and we want to influence policy? I am always worried 
about the influence of money on Washington. Uh, Money flows through this place, you know, like a snake slithering around. It affects uh, all of the, the conversations that happen in Washington. And that's why we need to start taking steps to beat that back. You know, part of what For the People is about is about lobbying. Part of it is about raising money. Part of it is about disclosing where dark money comes from. These are the things we need to put forward to protect our democracy. I think about John Lewis, and he used to talk about we need we need two things. We need to protect the right of our citizens to go to the polls and vote. But we also need to make sure that when they get there, they have candidates who will work for them. And the way we do that is we beat back the influence of dark money, beat back the influence of big donors. We, as a, as a, as a, as a democratic institution, we need to make that a first priority. We want people to believe in government again. Well, let's start by giving them something to believe in. Protect the vote and beat back the influence of money. Well, it is not Sunday, but you can get an amen at this pulpit. Thank you very much, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Thank you, as always. Really appreciate you and being happy. here. All right. Uh, up next on the readout. The Sedition Caucus infiltrates the January 6th Select Committee. Their goal? Create chaos and defend Trump at all costs. Stay with us. Joy Reid, <laughs> one year. Wow, that flew by. It is so great to have you in this primetime lineup. We really uh, look forward to 7 p.m. every night. So we got you, like, <laughs> the worst birthday present ever, Joy. <laughs> For your first year on the air, we got you one of the weirdest, most challenging, most bizarre, most whiplashy years that's ever existed in news or America. Congratulations. <laughs> But the one most excellent thing about this past year has been getting you on the TV machine every night in prime time. It is an honor to serve alongside you, my beloved Joy. Happy birthday to the readout. We are better with you on air every night by a mile. I love being in cahoots with you. Congratulations. Here's here's to many, many years ahead. It's Monday. It's Monday, everyone. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. On every issue from public health to the 2020 election to the fake outcry over critical race theory, the GQP has weaponized disinformation when the facts aren't on their side. And in doing so, they're putting our democracy and our very lives at risk. 
Yesterday, House Minority Leader and Trump steward Kevin McCarthy proposed five Republicans to serve on the select committee investigating the Capitol insurrection, a majority of whom sided with the insurrectionists on January 6th by voting to overturn the election results, just as the mob demanded. That includes Congressman Jim Jordan, the screamy Trump advocate and defender of the big lie. While it's unclear whether Nancy Pelosi will veto any of McCarthy's choices, Jordan's history of grandstanding certainly makes him a good candidate for rejection. But the bigger problem is that Jordan helped inspire the very attack he's now supposed to investigate. A new book by Carol Lenning and Phil Rucker reports that when Jordan offered help to Congresswoman Liz Cheney during the attack on January 6th, Cheney smacked his hand away and told him, get away from me, you blanking did this. To that point, McCarthy's selections make clear that Republicans will attempt to obscure their own culpability in the insurrection, as well as Trump's. In fact, their proposed ranking member, Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, is already undermining the committee's work. He'd rather forget who unleashed the mob against the Capitol because, according to Banks, Nancy Pelosi is really the one to blame. Today, he suggested that she left the Capitol unprepared and vulnerable to attack. And he added that Pelosi, quote, created this committee solely to malign conservatives. But Republicans are also selling a bill of goods when it comes to COVID, fueling baseless conspiracy theories and vaccine skepticism. So it's no surprise that we're seeing more COVID cases among Fox News viewers who've watched their hosts downplay the pandemic day after day. In fact, according to CNN, the White House has reportedly been in private talks with Fox executives about their coverage. That might help explain why several hosts on that network are turning tail. They're suddenly urging their viewers to take COVID seriously. But while Sean Hannity and Steve Ducey have changed their tune, Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingraham continue to sow doubts. The problem is there are real-life consequences for those who might heed the GQP message. There's the unfortunate example of unvaccinated Trump supporter and QAnon believer Linda Zorn, who was protesting her state's vaccination program just a week ago, according to the Cape Cod Times. Well, she died from COVID complications on Friday. Joining me now is former Senator Claire McCaskill of Missouri and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large for The Bulwark and an MSNBC columnist. Thank you both for being here. Claire, I'm going to start with you. Uh, so Speaker Pelosi has a, has a choice now here of accepting Jim Jordan and, and, and you know Congressman Banks and all of these other insurrectionists on the commission um, or saying absolutely no. Um, what, what do you think she ought to do? Well, before I tell you what she ought to do, I have to say happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Um, you have done an amazing job, my friend. We are all lucky to be able to work alongside you, myself, oh. time to time. Not as often as I would like, but certainly um, very proud of you and what you've done over the last year. Thank and you. like Rachel said, looking forward to many more years. I, I get, so you know, I'm going to now push for a cake. I hear you're I know, just amazing I baker. So badly. <laughs> I was traveling today of all days not to have a cake for you. When we get together, I'll make it up to you. When we're together in yes. person, we're we're gonna yes. have a we'll, we'll bake. We'll do like a bake off. It'll be fun. Cake, <laughs> cake, cake and wine yes. always a deadly combination. Yes. I'm in favor of cake. Um, so. So I gotta tell you, I think Nancy Pelosi have a, has a tough decision. Yeah. She has six Republicans. Three of them did not vote to overturn the people's will, and three of them did. The ones, other than Jim Jordan, nobody in America knows who these people are, other than Liz Cheney and Jim Jordan. So does she want to set up a Liz Cheney versus Jim Jordan? I like Liz Cheney in that fight. 
I think most independent voters, most voters that decide swing districts and swing states are going to come down on Liz Cheney's side, not on Jim Jordan's side. So um, and always if she turns them down, who knows, she could get, you know, three Looney Tunes next (laughs) that everybody has heard of that are really incentivized to be crazy because that's the only way they make money in their campaigns. You know, the QAnon lady and crazy Bobert or Babbert or whatever her name is, you know, so I think in some ways um, they can work with with these people, especially considering we've got three to three in terms of Republicans who bought the big lie and protected the big lie and those who rejected the big lie. That is a really good point. That is a, that's why we love you, Claire. That is a great point. Let me play for, for, for those of you who forget who Jim Jordan is. You might want to turn the volume down just a skosh on your TVs before I play this. Here he is. And I want to know why you won't give us what we've asked for. Sir, I certainly hope that the, your colleagues are not under that impression. That is not accurate, sir. And you it can... is accurate. We have caught you hiding Mr. Chairman, can we Mr. allow the witness to answer? So the protests don't increase the spread of the virus? I didn't say that. You're putting words in my mouth. No, I, I, want, I, would, I just want an answer to the question. May I answer that question? 13 Yeah, I'll get to you. I'll, I'll give you a chance here in a Thank second. You. Who told Papadopoulos? How'd he find out? I can't get into the evidentiary file. Yes, you can, because you wrote about it. In a way, has Kevin played himself, Charlie, by picking the screaming Mimi here um, and having him seated against Liz Cheney. I mean, this is the guy that John Boehner has called a political terrorist. Um, Is this a pretty good fight that Nancy Pelosi might be like, okay, good, I'll take it. Maybe. And by the way, um, happy anniversary. But if you count it in in, in Trump years, it's sort of like seven year anniversary. I think you need to, you know, recognize he was president for 430 years, Charlie, 430 years. He was there. Yeah. It feels like that. Yeah. Look, um, I, I, I get the I get the the political um, optics of having Liz Cheney versus Jim Jordan. I mean, it is uh, that's not that is not a fair fight. On the other hand, I do think that voting to overturn the election should be disqualified. Yeah. That 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 uh, Nancy Pelosi would be completely justified in playing hardball and saying this is not a joke. This is not a farce. This is not going to be a, a circus sideshow. Um, that Kevin McCarthy wants it to be. This is going to be a serious investigation. And that means that if you supported the big lie, you cannot serve on this committee. I mean, I think that would be a principled position. I don't expect that's what's going to happen. But Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan serves no positive um, role in all this except to feed red meat to the base. And by the way, we get a new CBS poll out today showing that 55 percent of Trump voters believe the January 6th insurrection was really about, quote unquote, defending freedom. So um, if you were going to counter this, I think that the tactics have to be aggressive as opposed to this assumption that, well, people will see what a crazy talk there is and they'll recognize that these people are nuts and seditious and they don't want to vote for them. Well, we've tried that um, in the past and look where it's gotten us. So um, I, I do think that those members that voted to overturn the election without any evidence whatsoever should be disqualified from being on this committee. You know, and Claire, here's my challenge. I mean, this is we knew this was going to happen when we didn't get the bipartisan commission. Right. Because what we wanted was sort of a 9-11 style, very serious and sober, um, you know, examination of this horror that happened to all of our country, you know, at the, on January 6th. Instead, are we at risk of just having a, a shouting match um, in which there able to both sides, the Republicans are able to essentially both sides the insurrection. 
I think that would be a bigger danger if we didn't have all the video. Um, you know, I don't need to tell you that visual matters. It matters a lot in communication, uh, the pictures. And I think the American people, um, maybe not the Trump voters, but keep in mind that is a, not a huge percentage of America at this point. Yeah. And we're talking somewhere between 20, 25, 30 percent of the voters and even smaller in terms of Americans. I think most Americans have that visual uh, those people beating police officers with flagpoles, uh, dragging police officers down the stairs, breaking windows in our nation's capital, swinging from the balcony in the Senate chamber. Those images are permanent in people's minds. So I think it makes it very difficult to both sides this, uh, no matter how many Jim Jordans without a jacket they have on the committee. Yeah. And, and I mean, Charlie, even Fox News is going to have to play some of this. And let's right. play some of the new video. This is new video that, uh, that has been come out from the, at least is the FBI, um, at the request of NBC and other news organizations. This is going to be playing you know, day and night during these hearings. And I think about the optics of Jim Jordan yelling and screaming at Capitol Police officers like Officer Fanone and interrogating them. I, I, I don't see how that's helpful to them. But do you think that, well, let me ask you about this switch a little bit at Fox News, where you have Sean Hannity and Steve Ducey kind of changing their tune. Do you detect just a slight that they might be back on their heels a little bit because you can't keep lying about everything. You might be able to get away with just yeah, lying about right. the insurrection, but also lying about something that's killing your own viewers. And they know their viewers are dying. I mean, they're these elderly, basically, viewers are, are passing away. Have they reached maybe a tipping point where they've lied about maybe one too many things? Well, the, the, what links these two stories together is they're running up against reality, right? And I, I can't agree more with uh, with Claire's point about how powerful those videos are. Um, those videos ought to be played over and over and over again because they make it very, very clear what happened, what the threat was. And if Republicans want to defend that, if they want to associate themselves with that, I, th I think that is politically going to be very, very toxic. The other reality check is that the, this vaccine denialism has a real human cost. People are getting sick. They're being hospitalized. They are dying. And I think there's a recognition at some level of Fox, and who knows how high up it goes, that this is not a good place for them to be, to be giving information that is killing their own constituency. So um, I do get this sort of sense like, whoa, we thought we were just playing with matches. Yeah. And suddenly we are surrounded by this conflagration. We saw what happened on January 6th. The images are indelible. We are seeing what we are ha what's happening with the Delta variant, with the coronavirus. Um, the stock market is reacting. The world economy is looking nervously. And you almost got a sense today that the bat signal went out um, among conservative politicians and media figures. Um, maybe don't screw around with this. Maybe um, the, the game is over. Maybe it's not a yeah. game. And maybe we, we do have to uh, begin modifying our position. I hope that's the case. It's too little, it's too late, but it would be a good thing if it's happening. Yeah, somebody blinked over there. I mean, they're killing their own people. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, you, you kill your own audience. I'm really not sure what the, the benefit bad, of that bad is. Bad business too. model. Bad business yeah. model. Claire McCaskill, Charlie Sykes, two of our absolute favorites. Thank you both very much for being here on our birthday. We appreciate you both. All right, still ahead. Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor, oh, you're going to want to say for this, Mandela Barnes is throwing his hat into the ring for Ron Johnson's seat in the United States Senate. And he will be here right after this break. Uh, Joy, Sharon Brown here. 
Congratulations on the first year of the readout. I can't believe it's been a year, but I still love being on your show. You know why? You are reading out on the issues that matter, from voting to justice to our democracy. You are a nourisher, a nurturer. You are an igniter of spirit and ideas, and you are not just an informer, uh, but you're really someone I believe is part of making this world a better place. After the tumultuous year we've had, the public is better informed because of you and your show. Congratulations again, and may you continue sharing your talents with the world. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. If Senate Democrats hope to accomplish anything of significance, they'll have to make Republicans and obstinate Democrats irrelevant in the midterms. And they can do that by winning a handful of competitive Senate seats. Today, Wisconsin's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes raised his hand. My mom taught school for 30 years. My dad worked third shift at the factory. When I think about their hard work, about everything that Wisconsin families have on the line, there's no option to tap out, no towel to throw in. Instead of changing our dreams, we got to change the game. Back in 2018, Barnes made history when, at just 31 years old, he was elected Wisconsin's first black lieutenant governor. He joins a crowded field of Democrats who are all itching to take on chief Trump sycophant and bona fide conspiracy theorist Ron Johnson, who's not only declared his intention, who's not yet declared his intention to run, but has signaled a willingness to go back on a promise that he made to not seek a third term. Johnson, a millionaire who voted against the American relief package, was elected in 2010 as a fiscal conservative. Now, back then, you could say he was Dr. Jekyll. Today, he's ditched that and has embraced his Mr. Hyde. He defended the January insurrection by implying that the assault on our democracy was incited by a, quote, small group of agitators and police firing tear gas. And he claimed that he wasn't worried about the insurrectionists because they weren't black Lives Matter protesters. He he promoted false fraud claims about the 2020 election, and he called the climate crisis, which is currently ravaging Wisconsin crops, BS. Finally, but probably most egregiously, he continues to sow doubt in COVID vaccines by cuddling up to conspiracy theories. And joining me now is Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor and U.S. Senate candidate Mandela Barnes, a.k.a. the other Mandela. I guess when you were a kid on Mandela Day, uh, did did you think that was all about you as a kid? Because it's a great name. (laughs) The funny part about that, too, I'm an only child, so it had to be all about me, right? Oh, I mean, hello, everything is, right? So let's talk about your candidacy. I want to put up the numbers here on Wisconsin, because I think Trump threw people's sort of brains off about what Wisconsin is. It's been a pretty reliably statewide. Democrats have been able to do pretty well, other than losing some governor's races. Uh, Biden beat Trump by 20,000 votes, very narrow. Trump uh, beat Clinton very narrowly as well by 22,000 votes. It was really only President Obama who notched six-figure uh, wins uh, both in both of his uh, his election and his re-election. What's the formula for you, um, in your mind, to be able to pull this off? 
I'm glad you brought that up because Barack Obama was our high watermark. We have to show up everywhere. We can't take any vote for granted. And that means we can't take urban areas and just assume that people are going to show up to vote for us. And we can't disregard rural communities and assume that they're not going to vote for us. The more conversations we have with people all across the state, uh, the better we'll fare in these what are now close elections. They don't have to be this close. If we show up, we can win. And this campaign is about uniting people from Milwaukee all the way to Bayfield, from Beloit to Superior, right? We're going to touch as many places as possible. And that's the work that I've been able to do as lieutenant governor, have been able to show up to all 72 counties and talk about a path forward to talk about opportunity. And that's exactly what the campaign is about. People are struggling. Yeah. Well, you know, I've noticed this sort of trend that the the sort of winning formula for Democrats to win these statewide races are to have a combination of an African-American governor, uh, LG, uh, and a, a, a you know white Democrat at the top of the ticket. That's happened in multiple states, in Virginia and New Jersey. It happened in Wisconsin. And so it's clear that there is the, the possibility for uh, African-Americans to win statewide. Obviously, um, you did. Wisconsin's also a state that's had a lot of issues with voter suppression. Um, how do you deal with that? I know that there are still attempts to try to do that. I know Governor Evers is vetoing it. But are you concerned that there will be suppressive sort of efforts that might make it harder for a lot of your base to vote? Well, they're definitely going to try. We saw this across the country after the election of Barack Obama. And you mentioned the fact about uh, mixing the tickets, so to say, uh, with running mates for governor and lieutenant governor. And we can amplify that right now as a candidate for U.S. Senate and Tony Evers, a governor going for reelection. I think we can do so much more in terms of organizing and so much more in terms of reaching voters exactly where they are. And, you know, while voter suppression is always a threat, we see these repeated attempts state after state after state. Uh, the fact is, with Governor Evers, we do have the veto pen, and we have to protect that. Uh, but we shouldn't we shouldn't just get uh, comfortable. We shouldn't we shouldn't think that you know these things are just going to go away. The more elections we win, the more they'll try to steal. Uh, let's talk about COVID. Uh, Ron Johnson had COVID. He refuses to get vaccinated. He said he doesn't. He's not in favor of any mask mandates. He, he wears masks. He says when it's appropriate. But he's been really weird uh, about things like vaccines. How concerned are voters that you're talking to about COVID? I know it's it's ravaged uh, Wisconsin at, at, at moments. Well, people like Ron Johnson have totally hampered our uh, hampered our efforts to get people vaccinated. We were number one in the nation for quite some time. And then we saw uh, the senator go on this reckless conspiracy theory tour. I mean, he's done nothing but uh, you know, have these conspiracy theories and sympathize with insurrectionists. And that has been par for the course for his time in office, especially in recent days. But we're going to continue to work with our public health departments. We're going to continue to reach out directly with in communities with trusted messengers, whether it's churches, whether it's community organizations, whatever it takes, because COVID is not going away. And we spent a very long year fighting this pandemic. And it's a fight that we're not going to give up uh, because uh, it's, it's getting tougher for people. And we saw all the devastation, the death, uh, the financial uh, impacts, especially with our small businesses and even more so with smaller uh, minority owned businesses. Yeah. And let's talk about the insurrection real quick, because this is, you know, we're going to start having hearings coming up soon. When you talk to voters out there, are, are, are the lies that people like Ron Johnson are putting out there about the insurrection, is that seeping in uh, to voters or is, is that are, are people more guided by what they've actually seen with their own eyes, the video that they've seen? Of course, it, it, people are people are concerned about it. Uh, people are concerned about their own safety. Uh, if this is a person who's going to deny the reality that so many of us saw uh, on TV live as it happened, and now we're seeing even more gruesome details day by day, and the fact that people have to rest with the fact that their senator 
is continuing to protect people who want to tear down our democracy, it's not sitting well with folks. Yeah. And that's something that is the case uh, no matter where you go, western Wisconsin, northeastern Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, or central Wisconsin. Okay, I got to ask you a, a question here. I, I'm just going to preface it by saying I am a long-suffering Knicks fan. Don't judge me. Uh, I, I'm, I, I've stuck with them through better and worse, mostly worse. Um, but your team, the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks look like they're in poise. They could win this thing, right? Are they going to beat Phoenix? Are they going to be uh, the NBA champs? Is that going to happen? Are you going to predict it? You know, it's been 50, yeah, it's been 50 years, so this is the first for me as well. And I think the Bucks are definitely going to do this. Bucks in six. Uh, we are going to take this thing away. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about the Bucks all day. Also, they're happy to direct people to the website, MandelaBarnes.com. We can do both. <laughs> Let me let folks know uh, if you're out there uh, in Milwaukee and you're a fan of the Milwaukee Bucks, the Deer District. If you're uh, attending for the Deer District, you can win two free tickets to tonight's Bucks game by getting your, your COVID shot. So get your, get, your, get your shots. Get vaxxed, and you might win some tickets to go watch your Bucks win. Um, yeah, and one day the Knicks will be in that position, too. I really believe that. Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, good luck in your campaign. Come back on the show, and you're welcome anytime. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Happy to join you. Thank you very much. Okay, up next, the White House announces some new moves in response to unprecedented anti-government protests in Cuba. Stay with us. Congratulations, Joy Reid and the readout. It's been a year since you came on board, and we've been so excited to see all that you've been able to do to tell us about the way the world is and how the world can be. You bring me joy. <laughs> Greetings, Joy. Congratulations on your first yes. anniversary of the readout. You and your team have done a remarkable job at creating a platform so that you can bring truth and speak truth to power. Thank you for being you. Thank you for your brilliance. Thank you for your beauty. And thank you for that smile of yours. And a certain kind of knack way that you have of bringing and talking about really, really difficult issues with a smile on your face. <laughs> Keep generating that joy. We love you. Remember, can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. The Biden administration is reviewing steps that it can take to help the Cuban people who've been holding just unprecedented protests against the government for more than a week now. Measures under consideration by the Biden team include figuring out how to help protesters access the Internet, as well as increasing humanitarian assistance. The White House also said today that the Treasury Department is looking at Cuban officials responsible for violence against the protesters, which could mean increased sanctions. At a House hearing today, activist Rosa Maria Paya called for those sanctions and asked the United States to stand with the Cuban people. If I make a, a, a call, a request for all of you, is to please, to listen to what the Cuban people is demanding on the street. At, at the highest possible risk, which is life, they are demanding freedom. They are demanding the end of the dictatorship. Please. Do not politicize that. It's not about politics. It's not about right and left. Now, the United States and the rest of the world have the opportunity and the challenge to take sides with the Cuban people. And I am joined now by Rosa Maria Paya, and she is the founder of the Cuba Decide Initiative. Rosa Maria, thank you so much for being here. So I have to tell you, had I not been to Cuba, I went in 2017 because I wanted to see for myself and seen the mm -hmm. scary men on the streets with the Kalashnikov rifles watching the police, like the police were scared of those guys. I, I would not even, you know, be able to sort of put my head around how dangerous it is for people to march and for people to protest and put out protest music. 
But the Cuban people are doing that. It is unprecedented. Where did this come from? Is it the little openings in being able to get on the Internet? What what sparked this? Thank you. Thank you so much for 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 this time. And and yes, it's, it's the highest possible risk. They they the Cuban military have been actually cracking down the protesters with brutal repression. But the people understand, I mean, we as, as a nation, we understand that, that to get out of the deep crisis that we are facing, we need to get out of the dictatorship. We need to end the dictatorship. And in, in the middle of, uh, of the sanitary crisis, in the middle of the COVID crisis, in the middle of the healthcare crisis, the people just fed up and went to the streets demanding what is the root of all the crises, which is the the the, uh, the, the Castro's dictatorship. So the, the call to the international community is still the same. Please listen to that people that is asking for freedom and uh, and support that demand. It seems like a really a sort of open opportunity, particularly since we had a, a previous president um, who sort of made our democracy feel like it's teetering and Biden wants to reestablish that we are a core democracy. What can and do you think that the Biden administration could do um, to 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 support the Cuban uh, people? Well, uh, the, the Biden administration has today uh, the big opportunity of accompanying the Cuban people in their quest for freedom and actually of achieving together with the Cuban people the freedom of Cuba after 62 years of, of dictatorship. For instance, the U.S. should apply individual targeted sanctions against the repressors, against the ones that are ordering the military to shut down young people in the streets. There are many companies, many enterprises still doing business with that criminal regime. The Biden administration could take a similar approach to the approach taken towards South Africa to end with the apartheid and put consequence on, on, on that on that companies and apply the Sullivan principles. The U.S. has the capacity to provide uh, Cubans with internet access, with satellite satellite internet access, which means that it's going to bypass the interference and the censorship of the dictatorship that, by the way, cut the internet access when the protests start. Right. So we are asking that uh, that that capacity to be enabled for uh, the Cuban people. But also this administration has the has a uh, the the ability to be also leaders in that regard world leaders in the defense of democracy, in the defense of human rights. So we hope that the Biden administration invite the European Union to take similar steps, invite the member states of the OIS to take similar steps. This is a big challenge to all the democracies of the world, but it's also a big opportunity, it's the opportunity to finally see a free Cuba and with a free Cuba also more stability and peace in our hemisphere. It is remarkable to see it happening. I'm glad that you mentioned South Africa. Joe Biden was actually one of the most vocal, um, uh, you know, senators at that time against the South African apartheid regime and also has been pushing uh, on this for freedom in Russia as well. Very good points. Uh, Rosa Maria Padilla, thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here this evening. Okay, and up next, we are officially marking one year since we birthed the new live TV show from home in the midst of a global pandemic. What an incredible team. We'll be Right back. From one read to another. Oh my God. <laughs> Joy, congratulations. 
You are truly a journalist. I admire the work you do. Congratulations on one year of the readout. You have informed America, you have strengthened the nation, and you have galvanized people around the country to make sure that we do all that we can to make America live up to its promise. You're the best. Congratulations, Joy, on your one-year anniversary. It's just too bad that not much happened this year, so you couldn't show your chops. Congratulations on the one-year anniversary of The Readout, and thank you for your strong, clear, fierce voice of truth, decency, and justice. Keep punching, my friend, and we will be here punching right along with you. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to Joanne Reed and The Readout. I've had an amazing ride this past year with you guys. I'm looking forward to many more years of some incredible memories. Love it. Well, one year ago tonight, a ragtag team of producers, senior producers, booking producers, tech and crew members, interns and assistants came together to produce a thing completely remotely and broadcasting from my basement with my husband and daughter pitching it. And while we were in like 14 different cities making TV from our computers, we managed to produce something that I think is pretty great. I mean, we opened with Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. Come on. Over the course of this year one of the readout, we have welcomed new bosses, including the first black MSNBC president, Rashida Jones, and the first Latino boss at NBC Universal, Cesar Conde. And we've interviewed amazing guests, including a certain senator who would go on to become the first woman and first person of color who was vice president of the United States. We've covered tough stories of violent policing and violent citizens attacking the police and our capital. And some heartwarming stories, too. Yes, we have a moment of joy every now and again. We've told you who won the week and pointed out those who are the absolute worst. And what makes it all work is that even while we have never actually worked in the same physical space, we are a team and a family. And that family includes all of our regulars, our wonderful guests, old friends and new, some of whom you've seen in those little clips, and our fabulous, gorgeous viewers who showed up here night after night to hear the work of our lives, to inform and occasionally enlighten, and when we can eke it out to make you smile or laugh. Because what's a little democracy Armageddon without a laugh or two? So thank you all for rolling with us, readers, uh, and we love you guys. And here's to year two and beyond. We are officially toddlers, and that is tonight's readout. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC.